think that's the first time we've used the slides without there being a crash, so that was good. Um, so what we're going to be talking about today are green ethics and stories from origin. Um, and I think we've got quite a diverse panel here with quite a set of diverse experiences of that. Um, so before we kind of get into that, we really need to understand what ethics are and, and kind of what they mean, um, and particularly what they mean to, to us as roasters. Um, so there's a, there's, um, Bram Hart did a, a survey where he asked, Raymond Bram Hart, where he asked lots of questions about what are ethics to people. And there were lots of different things that came up. Um, Ethics has to do with uh, what my feelings tell me is right or wrong. Um, something that's not very measurable. Um, being ethical um, is doing what the law requires. I mean, is that ethical? I mean, these are the, is, is that the very basics of ethics? Or ethics consist of standards or behavior our society accepts. Um, but certainly something that I think whenever we talk about ethics in coffee, one of the answers that comes up the most is, I don't know, because it means something different to us all. So hopefully with the talk today, we're gonna to kind of uh, get uh, some of the answers so we don't have, I don't know. So um, the meaning of the word ethics, to pin it down, um, comes from the well-founded standards of right or wrong that prescribe what humans ought to do. Usually in terms of rights, obligations, benefits to society, fairness, or specific virtues. That's not my words, that comes from some very clever people. Manuel Vesquez, Claire Andre, Thomas Shranks, and Michael Meyer. So this is um, not, not just me talking. So um, I'd like to start with, uh, with Sarah. Sarah Marachi is born in Italy, um, educated in a fantastic country, the UK. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, like, like, no, no bias whatsoever. Um, Sarah found her path in specialty coffee sector through various roles since 2007. A social scientist by training, she began working in development, a development worker in Kenya in the early 2000s, and started to grow an interest in ways to grow and strengthen all the rural supply chain in East Africa. Um, she began working as an East African supply chain manager for sustainable harvest in 2007, where that took you to Tanzania. And I'm going to roll, scroll down my notes because, um, and go through, miss up all the slides. Slick, isn't it? It's because I'm not using a Mac. Because he always forgets he's a touch screen for the mm. scroll. Ah, oh, there we go. There you go. Ah! Because <laughs> it's not a Mac. Um, Sarah recently moved to Amsterdam working for Vuna Consulting, uh, Vuna Origin, uh, Coffee and Cacao. Uh, the perfect mix of origin, travel, relationships, uh, and uh, extremely exciting work. And uh, passionate about creating long-term sustainable solutions to empower uh, and incentivize the supply chain access in collaborative ways. So I want to start by asking you kind of, what does ethics mean to you? Um, well, it's, to me, it's definitely not necessarily what the law requires. Um, that's, uh, I think ethics is more of a fluid concept. There was a lot of things that were not legal or were legal a couple of hundred years ago. There are no longer. Um, when I look at ethical green buying, I tend to focus on three major um, aspects, which is uh, it's people, it's the environment, and it's the market. 
within which we, we operate. Um, so the idea is to be able to engage with your supply chain in a way that allows everybody in the supply chain to thrive, uh, whether it's from a human rights perspective or a labor perspective. Uh, from an environmental perspective, are we, are we conscious about the choices that we make when we buy coffee, whether it's wash versus natural, shade grown versus not? And then lastly is what kind of negotiating uh, practices uh, we implement when we talk price with our supply chain. Um, I think that there's a lot of different pricing models, a lot of different pricing models out there. There's not one perfect answer. Uh, but definitely, there are some 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 milestones that need to be uh, that need to be there in negotiation practices for sure. So those are the three things that I I look at, and when you tend to look at these three aspects um, and sort of check the boxes, you tend to uh, promote a more empowered, more transparent, more sustainable um, supply chain, which is ultimately. Um, what you need to guarantee, even if you are stand at the one opposite end of the supply chain. So that's how I approach it. Thank you. So um, our next uh, panelist is uh, Rudolf Sturder from uh, Algrano. Am yeah. I getting that right? Wow. It's Rafael. So. Oh, see. <laughs> nearly but got Algrano right. was correct. Okay, I got part of it right. Isn't that good? That which is in Switzerland, in Zurich. Um, uh, Raphael is a Swiss economist and entrepreneur, and uh, during his PhD, uh, Raphael researched the statistics and measurements, and touch screen doesn't work, um, and um, modeling of human well-being. Uh, his work experience in fields of international business development, sustainability, consulting, energy trading. Two years ago, Raphael co-founded Allegrano, which is a business-to-business -business online marketplace for green specialty coffee. Um, Allegrano allows uh, access to roasters and producers, um, uh, and only a broker logistic. And um, yeah, that's been, uh, you've lived in the Brazilian coffee fields, met producers, roasters all over the world. And um, yeah, tell me a little bit about what ethics mean to you. I think Sarah did a, a very good job in out, outlining which questions we should answer in this in these three topics. I think very important for roasters and that's m most of you in in this room is that it starts at your roastery. I guess it does not start in the field. It's not about human rights in the field. It's really that you have to have a vision and uh, a value statement where you say what is what do I want to pursue, and that starts in my eyes also in your behavior so uh, i mean depending on the, depending on the size of your roastery it could be that your your head green buyer gets approached by bribes do you and do you take bribes or not right and that's illegal that's the law says no but uh, uh, it goes further and and down and you have to answer the questions do i have uh, do i buy a coffee uh, do I only buy certified coffee or not? Or uh, so kind of do I outsource the the due diligence of the coffee I'm buying to to a third party? So there's a lot of a lot of these questions that you should answer before you start buying, right? And before you start uh, being being active. And in in that sense, I see often that especially when you're busy and you're a one-man show in a roastery, you don't have that time, right? And you don't have that. Uh, 
that or, or you're not aware of the effort to put in. But at the end of the day, you're in front of the roaster, in front of your customers standing there at the coffee bar and he's asking you, how is the coffee sourced? And you have to give, you have to be able to give him an answer. And so answering this question, you should be for, for yourself. And you should, uh, you should uh, answer exactly these three topics that Zara, that Zara mentioned, right? Fantastic. So um, our third speaker is uh, Joanna Alm. Uh, Joanna is from the north of Sweden um, and ran a coffee bar in Oslo for uh, two years and then went back to Stockholm and um, started getting involved in roasting and now uh, owner of Drop Coffee and managing director of that business and um, competed in many roasting championships uh, successfully and also uh, previously judged at uh, national uh, competition, barista competition, and been uh, heavily involved in the SCIE in Sweden. And um, yeah, tell me what ethics mean to you. I think it's a tricky one. Like um, you, you bounced this question earlier and I just wished I had an answer like, okay, to say like, okay, kids should never be on the farm, full stop, or, or something like that to actually like, uh, to have proper, concrete answers. I think that the question that I'm asking myself every time I go and buy something is that, do I actually destroy something in the society or their structure by going there and buying a product or do I create something better? And that's like my, my main thing. Um, I've been traveling, I've been traveling with yourself uh, as well in Bolivia and El Salvador um, and yeah, in Colombia, Guatemala, like in, in going there and for example with the struggling with leaf roast farmers that haven't been paid for two years and now they are suddenly like starting to get a crop and how we could help them, like it's, it, it's uh, fantastic, like it's very direct, you see it directly the impact you're doing whilst, uh, um, yeah, together with Nordic Approach, I've been traveling for five years in, in Africa and there I couldn't see a better model than to do it without them. Like I couldn't do it independently in a sustainable way. So it's just like to find this, um, what you find being okay. I do feel that we could do a lot more. Um, but like the minimum, okay, wh what's the minimum? Like for if that may be like in, in the centrals, you have a certain kind of things that you need to uh, make sure you're paying properly for, whilst in Africa, there are totally other conditions where you need to make sure that the end farmer actually are getting properly paid. Um, um. Yeah, no, that's great, that, that's, uh it, it kind of leads nicely into the next question, which um, we're talking about like the ethical considerations uh, of green coffee purchasing. Um, Sarah, I want to direct this one to you, if I may. Um, are there, I mean, we, we know that we, coffee comes from many different countries and many different cultures. Are there specific things that we need to bear in mind when we're approaching different countries and different places and the customs and traditions of those countries? Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I think that the, the, the worst thing that as green buyers can do is first uh, have the assumption that um, one pricing strategy fits all. Um, and that takes a lot of humility um, when you travel. 
there is unfortunately sometimes maybe more because of lack of experience to uh, juxtapose one experience that you had in a particular country with a different country. Um, we all, I think that, you know, I think buying from Kenya and Ethiopia, we all buy there, uh, completely different uh, 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 countries with completely different regulations, auction systems, uh, exchange systems, and then you move to Central's or South America, which is more um, open, open markets. Um, and of course, in some countries, you can have certification schemes that work very well, not in other countries, um, and so forth. So you need to be able to be extremely flexible and really understand the, 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 the market before you start making decisions on what is the right pricing strategy for this country and for this group. Am I dealing with a cooperative? Am I dealing with a single estate? Am I dealing with a second tier uh, organizations? Or am I buying from, from a dry mill that uh, collects coffee from individual farmers? Uh, so it's, it's really important to, to have these, to really look at these variables and make the best, uh, the best decision possible. Usually pricing strategies come by um, interacting with the, with your supply chain partners. I find that rarely you can come up with successful pricing strategies by just sitting in your office uh, somewhere thinking, oh, I'll pay $3 for this coffee. It's well above C market, so I'll, I'm good to go. I'm a good buyer now. Absolutely not. Um, I mean, it's a really great step. Uh, of course, but uh, I green coffee buyers should do a little bit more than that. I think that what I have been increasingly interested in the last couple of years, especially how, as we see that there is a, a trend moving away from certification strategies for different reasons or certification schemes, I am more and more interested in doing more research on cost of productions. Um, if uh, we address the, the question of how can we be more sustainable in the way we buy coffees, well, when you run a business, one of the first things you do is you calculate what your cost of productions is. What does it take for me to stay in business? And, and those are questions that usually are not addressed properly in the field. Um, it's, 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 it's a very costly project. Uh, farmers don't always know their cost of productions. It's difficult calculations when it comes to agricultural products. Um, and I th but I think that more and more efforts uh, towards that uh, could uh, bring some interesting um, considerations on what are the, a good pricing strategy. I mean, that's, it's very true that, you know, cost of production in Brazil compared to cost of production in Kenya is just completely different. And it's like comparing apples and oranges. And, and I think it's a very interesting point. Um, coming to you, Joanna, I kind of want to talk about like the pricing things that you've had. I mean, when you go to somewhere, how, how do you come to those ideas of like, this is a fair price for this? Is it a conversation with the producer? Is it experience of those origins? What, how, do you, how do you find what is an ethical price? I think in uh, all the centrals, it's very uh, direct in in many ways, and you can have an open dialogue, and you can actually often like sit down and calculate and what's your margin, what's mine, and it actually feels like you're getting stronger together, and it's easy to do project and such, and then you can put on uh, maybe like an extra penny for a certain uh, project and, and so on. So that one I find like is fairly. Um, direct to uh, 
to put in. In uh, Africa, I think what I've been focusing mo- more on, like when I'm traveling with a green coffee buyer, is to just like, um, okay, but have the farmer really been been paid? Have they received their second payment? Um, and uh, when did they get paid? And things like that, more than I'm actually... Um, we do see the numbers and we always like, yeah, look through the books at the cooperative and being very like, okay, this is what they were getting paid that day, that the second day, that the last. And without those numbers, if we go back to the first question, what's ethical, I wouldn't buy it because then uh, I wouldn't know simply what they have been paid. So that's a first page to start at. Um, Raphael, come to you. That it's, I find it's, um, we're talking about price a lot here, but I'm picking up on something Joanna said at the very start about, you know, children working on farms. <laughs> oh, that's the best. Sorry, son, I can't speak to you. I'm busy. Um, we talked about, like, Joanna mentioned children on farms and how uh, that, that is an ethical consideration. But in some countries, it's, very, it's perfectly normal for children to be working with their families on their farms. I mean, how, how do we decide those, uh, those ethics when buying green coffee? I mean, what, what should we do to make sure we're doing the right thing? Yeah, when we speak about ethics, it's always that we speak about values, right? And values change uh, not only over time. I mean, when you, I, I would ask my father, it would have been normal also that he's milking cows in the Swiss Alps uh, as a nine-year-old, right? And nobody would uh, would have had an objection on this. Now, values change over time, but values also differ between societies, right? And uh, so this is it's very hard to to find there the bridge where we say, okay, this is, this is my personal value and uh, I, I impose it or I find the dialogue and I, I say, okay, well, what does it mean? Does it mean child, the child is working on the field? It's, it means that it's not going to school. I mean, that would be, uh, in my point of view, an objection to my personal standard in ethics because I believe everybody has a right to education. But uh, so there is really, I think we have to, it's ne- an understanding is needed. We cannot just form the values uh, in our office and and apply them. Huh? So this is but just on just. Be, I want to move on, but before I do on this point, I mean, is it right for us to impose our Western values on a different culture though that may have completely set different set of ethical values? I mean, this uh, it's a very political question, right? Is it right to impose uh, our our religion on other religions? Is it right to impose the? Uh, in Switzerland, we have right now the discussion that the burqa gets forbidden. I mean, is it is that is that right or not right? I, I think the only thing I I realized in my life uh, traveling was that you have to speak together, and when you speak together, you find a solution. I don't think that it's the right thing to go there and saying my background or my values or my personal perception is the right one. Uh, that strategy is not sustainable, no. Okay. Oh, I am, yeah, yeah, go. Um, I totally agree with you, Raphael. I don't, I don't think you can, but, uh, no, I don't, I, don't think, I don't think you can impose your values, but you can choose not to buy coffee. Mm. You know, exactly. you have, you can't demand a change in value but you can stick to your own values. Um, so, for example, um, 
I know that uh, there are certain buyers who have uh, some issues with some of the LGBT rights or the denial rights in Uganda and have made it part of their approach uh, to purchasing, uh, to have to embrace only uh, or buy coffee from uh, countries that are, are not so outspokenly against LGBT rights. So that particular company decided to interrupt the purchasing from Uganda. Um, so that's, again, when it's definitely part of the discussion, its uh, values can, can need, need to be discussed at the round table. But if you personally think, as a buyer, that there are certain values that go completely against what your business stands for, then you don't have to buy from, from, from that particular supplier or from that particular country. And, and then you can have the conversation why you don't feel comfortable there. And I think that that's a more interesting conversation than say, you know, try to uh, change direction. You just, you have the power to make some, some changes and influence others. But isn't it also say like UN? I mean, it, it is like the human rights are still like somewhat like standardized. Like I'm not meaning that it should be my standards, but there still is like a certain like what's what's the lowest level? Should all the kids be able to go to school? Yes or no? Okay, what happens if they do not? We are buying coffee from. What's the plan to go in that direction? Like, yeah, one thing is to say we don't buy it, but if you actually like talk to the people there, like, w would you like your kids to go to school? Would you like this to happen? And how do you make like a purchase plan towards that, or like a playground if you need to bring the kids to to the farm? Okay, can they also be in the playground when they're up to a certain age? Like, there are there are things that you can still like um, apply. I feel Jen's always burning in the back of my neck, but I am going to ask you one. I'm going to ask uh, Sarah, Sarah one more question on this one because I think it's important with the example you gave. Um, that's obviously a government-driven um, initiative, and the, there's an argument to say that actually you're damaging the people that are growing the coffee, not the the government who are the people imposing those rules. Is there an issue with that? Of of kind of. Um, you know, sometimes I, I give an example of I, I bought coffee from Zimbabwe and the, the things that are happening in Zimbabwe are terrible, but the producers were not getting a very good price of the coffee. We paid a little bit more for it, it meant that they got more for their coffee and they had an outlet. Is it right for us as coffee buyers to punish the producers for government policy? It, yes and no. I think um, I think that yes, it would be completely unfair to uh, uh, have the producers pay for uh, choices that are made at the at the at the government level. Uh, but sometimes advocacy is important, and 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 sometimes some stands uh, you need to stand for something. So in certain particular cases, I think it might be acceptable. In others, not necessarily. We know, for example. I mean, just a week ago, there was massive suppressions of Oromia, uh, Oromia folks in Ethiopia. I think some of you have heard, we all buy coffee from Oromia. I would not think that that would be a good uh, scenario where you say, okay, no more buying from Oromia or Ethiopia because the government suppressed some peaceful protests. But there are certain, I do, stand, I do want to stand for some level of advocacy at the government level. But yes, you have to really, 
it's a difficult choice. Um, and you might not always, you always want to try to be on the right side of history and not the wrong side. Um, so there's a lot of considerations that need to happen. And sometimes what you will see is that eventually you, you actually are building bridges uh, with certain producers that stand with you on the advocacy. Um, but sometimes you can use your voice to, to put some pressure. So I would say, it really depends on, on, on certain cases. Uh, most cases, I would say, absolutely, absolutely not. You have to stand with the producers. We need to be in these countries. So um, we've talked a lot about what is ethical. Um, Raphael, to you, what is unethical? What, what, what is something that is unethical? Can you give us an example of, of something you've maybe seen in the field? Yeah, I think... Uh, I said at the very first answer, I said it's important that you start to, uh, to define your own values and then it's based on your own values, something can be unethical. Uh, in my eyes, unethical is when I don't question. So uh, you said it before, you said, uh, I want to know what price the farmer is paid. That's exactly the right approach in my eyes that you, it, it does not stop FOB. It does, it needs to go to the farm gate and it, and it does not stop about uh, a nice picture or a name of the farmer. You want to talk to the farmer. You want to have, a, the, exactly we said it three times now, uh, we need to have a discussion. We need to have a dialogue. And this is only possible when you talk to him. And uh, of course, uh, you might think, okay, that's only possible for big roasters, right? But uh, I think there we have a, a big future in front of us. Uh, the next generation will not know a world without being connected. Connected, and uh, this will tremendously change the, the communication and the sharing of value. And uh, in that sense, I think it would be only the only thing today I would say unethical is just to take something as given and not question it. Yeah. So, um, Joanna, I, I kind of um, I want to kind of have an idea of what how you think as as an industry we could be more ethical. What things can we do to 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 be better at what we do, the golden bullet, if you like, um, for, for being more ethical? Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> I'm good um, at the big questions. No, but I think it's the whole, like, uh, it's been super important, the journey we've been doing, how much we are now as, like, yeah, the specialty roasters market, how we are communicating origin and, and farmers, but to actually also dare to highlight like not just the the pretty stories more like be more transparent like many have been buying writing like uh, transparency report uh, like good or uh, good or bad but like that you actually like try to to communicate like um, these kind of stories as well um, and tell more about the whole situation in in the country and what you see instead of just like yeah one cute pretty story uh, about one farm and what a good job you're doing there. Like to, it shouldn't be like too heavy or or too political. Of course, like it's a cup of coffee we should we should enjoy, but still like to to mention the situation and say like here's where it is now. Like this is what we see now, and it, it's a process, and a lot of things are getting better, but it also things that we can work with. So talk more about, yeah, the the situation outside of the farm as well. I'd like to ask uh, Sarah the same question. What, what golden bullet do you think we can do to be more ethical? Um, I definitely go back to the first three things that, that I mentioned. Every time you decide to buy coffee, 
from a different group or a different country um, think about what what are my relationship with with the people involved in 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 this in this relationship or even in just a one time transaction it can happen um what are the environmental implications um and what what are the pricing implications it goes at least this is how i like to approach it because it really gives me clarity on on how to look at my interaction from these three perspectives and it helps me try to cover as much ground as I possibly can every time I uh, I am about to put my name on, on a contract. And of course I don't do that anymore, but I, I've done that for a long time. And those are the three things that always um, come to mind. So in terms of, of people, we talked about children. I think today, uh, we have been all exposed to the conversations about forced labor and migrant labors. If you operate and buy from a country that is known or has known for having issues, you do want to do a little bit of uh, diligence on that. Ask your supplier, uh, especially if you're buying from a big single estate. Those are qu those are fair questions. You can't you don't want to be paternalistic uh, or a condescending, but you might want to establish. Uh, conversations about well, where do your workers come from? How do you interact with them? How are they? Are how are you contracting your workers? Uh, from an environmental perspective, I think you want to ask, uh, you know, am I pushing for a wash contract in a region that has no water? And while maybe you know we have the industry for a long time had issues with naturals, and yet water is a huge issue right now. Climate change is another huge issue. So maybe reconsidering some of the conceptions that we had uh, around some of the alternative processes. Uh, so that would be uh, from the environment. And from a pricing scheme level, I really think that we can't just uh, think about what's a good price today, uh, and I and I do. Can I give a small example? Because it really stuck to me, and I've I've talked to a couple of people here. But uh, literally ten days ago, I was sent a couple of contracts from uh, producer groups that sell parchment to intermediaries. So clearly, maybe not your typical uh, supplier for this room. And uh, they sent me their contracts and they told me, what do you think? Is, I think we did great. We're going to sell green coffee for the first time and, and we're really proud of this. It's a big step. Um, and I looked at the contract and right away I could see that there was huge uh, implications, negative implication. It was a fixed contract uh, with a really long uh, uh, term to delivery it was a contract signed about three weeks ago with a delivery in March. It was a fixed price, very close to the market. And what that really means is that you are committing to a price today for a market that we have no idea how it's going to behave in, in eight months. And they felt we have 10 cents over the sea. Never heard that before. So it's great. And I'm thinking it's, it's not ethical and it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable for the producers because they're committed to something they might not be able to deliver. It's not sustainable for the buyer because they're probably gonna be facing at some, at some default. And luckily, today the market is at 146, which is great. Means that most probably they are gonna be making some money. If we didn't have rain in Brazil, but today we would be looking at 166 or 176 market, and that would be a huge. You will be entering in the red zone of a default area, which, if if you're an importer, you know how critical that is. So 
it's a very simple example. Um, it's very specific, um, but it gives you an idea of you know, how you really have to think about pricing and what's ethical or not. And I think in this particular case, even with good prices, you think they're well above the C market, you might be putting your suppliers at risk and you might be putting your, your own coffee at risk. And Raphael, to you, if you can keep it brief, because we have got the cup in to go. <laughs> um, what do you think is the one thing that we, we can do to be more ethical? What, 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 what should we have in our mind as we approach as green coffee buyers and as roasters? I think start sitting down, take a paper and pencil and write down the what's what is your standard you want to pursue and then question when you buy, uh, go through the five, six, six questions you want to have answered and say yes or no and if there is one no, don't buy it. And then we are getting more ethical. God bless that you for keeping it short. <laughs> Thank you. Um, right, so we're going to do something a little bit different now. Um, and to explore the factors that you consider when you're coffee purchasing. So at the back of the room, we've got 10 coffees on each table, and I'd like you to taste and score with Slido um, so that we can review the results later. Um, even cupping teams, so two, four, six, eight, and 10. Um, please exit the afternoon lectures in your room and go to the even tables part in the drop-down menu. So there's a, an even tables um, where you'll find your score sheet. Same for the odd, one, three, five, seven, and nine. Go to the odd tables. Um, some of you on the tables will have the information of the coffee. Please don't share it with the other tables because it will ruin our experiment. Um, the other tables won't have the information. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to compare that from the blind cup into the open cup in with some different things that are on the table and hopefully come back with some interesting results. So go taste, go have fun uh, at the back of the room and please a big round of applause for our panel. So before um, we do go for the coffee break, um, we've got some of the results uh, have come through. We haven't got the actual finished results from them, but we have some, uh, ex some definite statistical things that have come through. So for those who didn't know, I'm just going to slowly go through the coffees of what we did. You will be able to find these out later. Um, but from the results, we found that those who knew the backstory and the information to the coffee were around about 15, 20% more likely to purchase that coffee than those that hadn't cut them and, di cut them and didn't know the back information about them. Um, I think that was really interesting. Um, and we, we saw that the scores were fairly consistent. So there wasn't a change in the scores because she didn't know the information. It was much more that you just knew a little bit more so you would be interested in being involved in it, which I think um, says an awful lot about we do need to have the whole picture when we're cupping a coffee. And blind cupping's great, but finding out the information afterwards is um, super useful too. There were some very unusual uh, coffees in here as well, um, coffees that we wouldn't normally see uh, on the market, but people were saying that they would very happily support them and buy them. So... Um, I thought that was uh, really interesting. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's this afternoon's panel. We will have those results out. And if you follow Roasters Guild on Twitter, uh, there'll be a post that you can go and actually see all of the results. Thank you for participating in that one. Um, and again, thank you to our panel. Let's go have coffee and be back here in 15 minutes. Thank you. <laughs>